What are some of the biggest information security challenges facing banking institutions in 2010? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with Brian Hurtis, the Executive Vice President with Technology Services at FIS. Brian, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome, Tom. Just to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and your role at FIS. Well, my role at FIS really covers a number of the technology uh, components that really represent our business. As, as you know, FIS is in the business of providing uh, transaction and, and financial processing services for a large number of banks across the, the world in this particular case. My responsibilities fall into the areas of running a lot of our strategic operations, uh, and within that, that would include our data centers, our network environments, uh, working through the architectural guidance with many of our application teams or our products, if you will, and then also take on responsibility for things like information security across the enterprise, as well as how we deliver that ultimately into the course of our products, ultimately delivering transactions and services to ultimately the, the banks themselves as clients, but in many cases, and certainly in many, in many more as time goes on here, directly to the end consumer. So. That's kind of the breadth of my responsibilities here as we look across uh, the landscape here at FIS. Well, Brian, to tackle the question that I asked up top, as we begin this new year, from your perspective, what are the biggest challenges facing your banking institution clients? Well, I think, if, you know, to go right to the heart of the matter here is really looking at where are the weakest links. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way by any stretch. But as we get into that, the biggest challenge that still remains in the industry today is really the end consumer themselves, and quite honestly, the education that needs to go on and continue to go on with that audience. As we get to have more and more channels, that being anywhere from the Internet, which certainly is very prevalent here in the marketplace today, to the mobile channels that are certainly growing in popularity, and also even to look back a little bit into the, uh, the old voice response or IVR environment, uh, the weakest link is the social engineering that does go on to, you know, create uh, opportunities for the bad guys to ultimately gain access to data as well as to other uh, confidential type of information surrounding the clients themselves. So to me, that's the biggest issue that remains out there. And, and certainly as we focus on products, as we focus on tools and monitors, if you will, it's all trying to center around to minimize the impact that something like that might happen. But nonetheless, uh, education still remains a very, very key aspect to what we do daily through our delivery of products and services to our banks, and hopefully in many cases then assisting them in continuing their education of their own clients that use the tools. Right. I think there's a couple other areas, though, Tom, that I think makes sense just to highlight here as well. And, you know, I think it really boils down into making sure that, um, again, as we talk about the social engineering characteristics, that we also focus on things like secure communications for email, things that we do every day that normally people aren't considering from a private or confidential use, the, the impact if someone were to get a hold of that as you're corresponding back and forth here. So, you know, again, messaging being the theme behind all of that, I think that represents also a very strong area of focus. Um, and I'm not trying to ignore the fact that, again, there is still a lot of bad guys coming after a lot of uh, data centers or businesses such as ours that happens all the time where they're trying to penetrate. The key is they're looking for the weakest link. And as I talked about the consumer in some regards, I would also look at in some cases where you have small businesses and some other scenarios where, again, the sophistication and the, the diligence, if you will, in maintaining those environments from a security point of view 
is not as high as it needs to be given the capabilities of what the, uh, the hackers, if you will, have in the marketplace today. And probably the last thing that just to highlight there is really related to knowing where your data is and being able to classify that data, that being either from a consumer point of view or from how a bank treats its data, which I think many of them certainly are very formal about this. And clearly what we need to do as we represent the custodians of a lot of that data in the businesses that we're in. So again, data classification, identification, and in this case protection surrounding that uh, based on the type of data is also a very important aspect to the business. Now, Brian, how do these challenges vary, if they do at all, by the size of the institution, whether we're talking about a Bank of America or a Citibank or you know, the small bank on Main Street? Well, I think if you break it down from the point of view of kind of how we hit it in the prior question, it really boils down from a consumer perspective. Uh, I don't really see uh, any major difference between the size of the institution. I think maybe where it does surface itself or um, is in the area of you know, how much dollars and time and energy goes into that, uh, that consumer education as we talked about it. But I think that challenge uh, is universal, uh, I think, not only in the U.S., but quite frankly across the world here as we continue to see more adoption into what I'll call the alternative channels or the electronic channels. And in this case, I'm also including voice. Um, I think if we look uh, around that, I kind of highlighted a little bit in my last comment here, is as the institutions grow, I think that the larger institutions can afford the specialization into that uh, particular, whether it be training or in some cases certainly in the technological or engineering kind of disciplines that support information security. And I think that's where, you know, a business such as ours, that being FIS, becomes uh, very relevant in today's economy as, as the sophistication grows. We have the scale to continue to invest, and certainly many of the larger banks fall into that same category. But I think it's not just dollars spent, it's management expertise that gets wrapped around that. And I think that just is a challenge for, for all institutions, but certainly perhaps for some of the smaller institutions, just to maintain the pace and the sophistication and expertise that needs to be done to create the right amount of protection. Well, you know, you're headed down a path I wanted to take you anyway. I wanted to give you a chance to brag a little bit. Where, oh, there we go. <laughs> where can a partner such as FIS really provide the most value in tackling the challenges that you've outlined? Well, I think if you, you break it down to the core aspects of our business, I mean, clearly the services that we provide have to be secure, have to be well monitored, have to be um, very much integrated with the operations of our clients uh, that use our services. And from that point of view, I think that really represents the main connection point um, that we represent in the industry today. We are there to be an extension of our customers' operations and security certainly is probably the most vital one that uh, anybody can provide. If the systems aren't up, it's not as important as if the system is secure. So that is obviously our number one goal and why we spend a significant amount of time, dollars, and resources uh, maintaining that capability that we have. I think the other thing that comes into it is really focused around how do we try to work with, again, our bank clients and ultimately in some cases they're you know, preparing them to work more directly with their consumers on you know, what tools they should be using, some best practices. Again, the transparency of some of the things that we do operationally, although we certainly do have the, the things that we keep very secret from the point of view of being able to create the right amount of protection, uh, we do have a lot of tools and a lot of expertise that we are able to provide as consulting uh, to our clients. Some of it is part of the course of our relationship, some of it is for a fee, but nonetheless, it is the level of expertise that we bring to that marketplace. 
And on top of that, we also have a very broad perspective, both obviously domestically and internationally, on what is going on across the uh, the world, if you will, as it relates to these kind of scenarios. Uh, we're very wound in as an organization to a lot of the, or many, if not all of the, the law and protection agencies that we have, government agencies for that. Uh, we stay very abreast and through a number of associations as the type of threats and the type of uh, incidents that have gone on. And obviously, we're able to leverage that into our delivery of protection, but also then to the educational opportunities that we have and consulting opportunities we have with our clients. Give me a sense, Brian. What are some of the types of solutions that you're most excited about to present to your clients this year? Well, I think, you know, a lot of the things that continue to evolve maybe aren't brand new by that very nature, but the whole scenario for how do we continue to, to generate better forms of authentication, uh, whether it be dual-factor, multi-factor, other scenarios along those states that also can cross channel, channels being the delivery mechanisms, those are the things that I feel are very exciting in this particular space as we look at the 2010, and quite frankly, and beyond that, uh, it's very, very critical, obviously, that we're able to continue to refine that and also, that at the same time, make it very easy and straightforward for ultimately the consumers to use that because the, the first breakage, if you will, that occurs within a security uh, program is the fact that it's just too cumbersome and people start circumventing it or do something that ultimately creates some level of exposure in that whole, uh, that whole protection uh, cloak, if you will, that gets wrapped around the product or the service itself. I think the other thing that really becomes um, very interesting is some of the things that we're starting to do here across our products where we're not only trying to protect the origination of those transactions and the access to the data, but also assuming that bad things could happen to make sure we're doing everything we can to monitor what I'll call abnormal behavior as it relates to transactions and payments. I think we've all been exposed to, over the years, the different scenarios that the credit card environments have been able to do looking at different transaction types, whether I'm traveling in you know, a foreign country and all of a sudden my you know, uh, particular credit card gets challenged for the reason of I'm really making sure I am who I am because I'm now out of my normal band, if you will, in terms of where I'm doing that transaction. The same kind of tools and techniques are things that we're building into our products that go well beyond the credit space, looking at just any and all the payment channels. And so these are things that we continue to evolve to to tie that proactive kind of fraud detection, if you will, beyond what I'll call the traditional credit space and to look across the different uh, different payment channels that continue to evolve here. As we all know, checks are in the, the stages of decline here, and certainly the forms of electronic payments continue to grow. And with the mobile channels that we're adding to the mix here, it only creates more of a challenge to make sure that we have these kind of capabilities. And I think that's really the wave of the future here is to protect the inbound side, if I could call it that, but obviously to get very, very involved in looking across the channels, looking for those same kind of fraudulent transactions or patterns that pop out of it. Um, you know, jumping around just a little bit more here on that same topic here, I think the other side of it is, you know, making sure as we continue to look across our components uh, within the environment is, um, you know, really looking at uh, some of the national uh, consortiums, if you will, that have been brought together here as a result of some of the uh, exposures that have happened within the industry and uh, trying to take what they've learned through their unfortunate examples here and apply that in terms of new products and services that we either can use internally from an infrastructure point of view or ultimately to expose uh, to our clients here. So that one's more of a work in progress, but I think the key here is the more communication there is, uh, the more visibility and transparency that we do have on incidents that do occur, 
more as, an, as a whole, the industry can actually expand and, 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 if you will, harden its capabilities to uh, protect the end client's data, which is what this whole industry is about. It's all about confidence, and having said all of that, it's all about protecting that data and those transactions of our clients, and they're ultimately their consumers. Well, that's well said. Uh, Brian, another direction entirely, as you know, the regulatory agencies have pressured financial institutions to improve their vendor management. From a partner's perspective, what can the vendor bring to that relationship to uh, to help the institution meet its regulatory need? You know, it kind of goes back to a, a comment I made earlier in our discussion here the, uh, on the call here, and it really boils down to um, the need to make sure that we as a vendor, but we as a service partner, look in a very much uh, in the same vein as an extension to their operation. So to me that comes in the form of transparency that they need to understand enough about our operations so that they are able to adapt whatever components that they retain on their side and ultimately the management of their clients is always something that they will maintain and retain. Uh, they need to have that transparency and that knowledge. Your outsourcing to a vendor does not advocate uh, this case the uh, the bank's responsibility for maintaining a knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes as well as the responsibility for making sure that it fits very cleanly with their operation. Very similar to what a, maybe a disaster recovery plan needs to incorporate between the different components. A security, the security awareness program needs to do exactly the same thing. Um, you know, from a vendor point of view to continue with that scenario, we do need to stay on top of our game, as I mentioned before to make sure that we are, you know, a step ahead of the bad guys, that we continue to invest and have the, the wherewithal and the, and the funds, if you will, to continue that investment, uh, both in what I'll call physical technology, but also obviously in the expertise that uh, is necessary to continue to work on the engineering for that. And then lastly, you know, clearly we have to have our own security controls and policies that are comprehensive and continuously reviewed and audited and to make sure that that kind of a discipline is not just a point-in-time policy, but really is part of the culture in terms of how we actually operate the company. And I think if you take those three things together, um, those are things that generally should, do get put in an RFP, and if they're not, they should be, because that's really how you pick your best partners, because that way you get the transparency, you get the skill and expertise, and quite frankly, you're assured that they can continue to, to maintain that investment and, uh, and doing that on a going-forward basis. So. Um, and I think, again, the participation in industry uh, forums, industry, uh, you know, work groups, if you will, to continue to evolve the standards and the best practices is also a very critical uh, aspect to what we do as a provider and a major leading provider here, certainly in the industry. Brian, a final question for you. Uh, what advice would you offer to banking and security leaders to help them maximize their relationships with a service provider such as FIS? Well, I think that the key starts with communications. And, you know, we feel very strongly that, you know, again, we need to make sure that our clients understand what our operational practices are, again, at a level that we can disclose them to make sure we don't create other issues. But nonetheless, communication is the primary theme of that. One example of what we have done here with an FIS is uh, we, we have a scenario where our clients are invited uh, in, in certain business units, we're expanding this across the, uh, the enterprise, to have more of an in-depth discussion on key topics such as information security, other cases would be an example of uh, disaster recovery, 
so that they have a good understanding of what we do, how we do it, and quite frankly talk more specifically about things that they could be doing and how they can enhance their own internal practices or quite frankly, again, some of their training and education with their end clients. So again, I think that's a very important aspect of it. As you look at a bank uh, and their, their staff trying to work more closely with their vendors, it all has to start with that, that lines of communication here. But, um, you know, I think the other side of this really comes down to, um, you know, continuing to have uh, some, back, some back and forth dialogue on what is the strategic direction that the bank themselves want to go. And I think that, again, it does dovetail off the backside of communications. But there is a strategic view of as they adopt more channels, adopt more strategies um, to engage with, you know, companies like FIS to work with them to understand what does that mean, what are the broader implications of that in terms of their delivery, their support, uh, and some of the things we've talked about earlier in this uh, this conversation. Brian, very well said. I appreciate your time and your insight today. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you. We've been talking with Brian Hurtis, the Executive Vice President with Technology Services at FIS. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.